Hey everyone, this is episode three of To Kill a Mockingbird. Final episode, really long book, super worth it. This episode covers chapters 21 through 31 through the end of the book, and then also I go over themes in the end. Okay, chapter 21. So Calpurnia walks up the aisle and she says to the judge that she has a note from Mr. Finch that is unrelated to the trial. Atticus reads it and then tells the judge that his kids haven't come home since noon. Mr. Underwood speaks up and says that he saw them on the balcony. Atticus looks up, tells them to come down. They argue for a minute, but Atticus tells them to go home and eat dinner, and then they can come back after dinner to watch the verdict. And then Jem asks Atticus if he thinks they'll acquit him fast. Atticus opens his mouth to say something and then doesn't respond. He figures that they won't acquit him and he's worried that Jem's going to be disappointed. So Calpurnia is mad at them for being gone all day. She's especially mad at Jem for allowing Scout to be there. So they eat dinner. Their auntie is pissed that they were gone. After they eat, they go back to the courthouse. The reverend says that he thought the judge was leaning more towards their side when the closing arguments were finished. Jem tells him not to worry. He says he knows they've won it. He says, don't see how any jury could convict on what we heard. The Reverend says, now don't you be so confident, Mr. Jem. I ain't never seen any jury decide in favor of a colored man over a white man. Jem goes over the case with them, saying everything that happened again. And he talks about what is constituted as rape. And you can tell that he's 12 years old (laughs) because he doesn't quite understand. It was 8 p.m., And then it was 11 p.m. Scout and Dill both fell asleep for a while. And then finally, around 11 p.m., the sheriff comes out and calls the court to order. He says something to Atticus, and then he brings Tom Robinson back in the courtroom. The jury returns. Scout says on page 240, I saw something only a lawyer's child could be expected to see. And it was like watching Atticus walk into the street, raise a rifle to his shoulder, and pull the trigger but watching all the time knowing that the gun was empty. A jury never looks at a defendant it has convicted. And when the jury came in, not one of them looked at Tom Robinson. The judge announces that they found him guilty. When the judge finishes reading the verdict, Atticus gets up, thanks the court reporter, nods to Mr. Gilmer, whispered something to Tom, and then he started walking out of the courtroom through the middle aisle. The reverend nudges Scout. She looked around and all of the black people on the balcony were standing. The reverend says, Miss Jean Louise, stand up. Your father's passing. Chapter 22. Jem cried the whole way home, saying that it's not fair. And at home, Auntie says, I'm sorry, brother, which is, Scout says, one of the nicest things she's ever said to him. And she asks if Jem's okay. Atticus says it was a bit strong for him. And Auntie starts to say, I told you so, but Atticus says, this is their home. We've made it this way for them. They might as well learn to cope with it. He says he's going to bed, but then Jem asks him how they could do that. On page 243, Atticus says, I don't know, but they did. They've done it before. They did it again, and they'll do it again. And when they do it, it seems only children weep. And then they all go to bed. In the morning, Atticus seems better, saying that he's confident there will be an appeal and he's feeling hopeful. Calpurnia leads them into the kitchen where all of the black people in the county have left food on their back porch for them as a thank you. After they eat breakfast, the kids go out onto the porch and they see Miss Maudie talking to Miss Stephanie and Mr. Avery. Miss Maudie calls them over and Miss Stephanie starts asking a lot of questions. 
Miss Maudie stops her and invites the kids over to her house to eat the cakes she made for them. Scout says this was Miss Maudie's way of saying that nothing had changed between them. She said, I simply want to tell you that there are some men in this world who were born to do our unpleasant jobs for us. Your father is one of them. We're so rarely called on to be Christians, but when we are, we've got men like Atticus to go for us. Jem says he wishes that the rest of the town felt the same way that Miss Maudie feels, and she says that a lot of them do. People like her, the black people, and Judge Taylor, Sheriff Tate, etc., and she says that it wasn't an accident that Judge Taylor appointed Atticus as Tom's defense attorney. Scout realizes that most court-appointed defenses were given to a lawyer named Maxwell Green. Miss Maudie tells them that as she waited for them to come home last night, she thought to herself, Atticus won't win. He can't win. But he's the only man in these parts who can keep a jury out so long in a case like that. And I thought to myself, well, we're making a step. It's just a baby step, but it's a step. And that's on page 246. When the kids go back outside, Miss Stephanie and Mr. Avery are still there, and they told the kids to get inside because trouble was coming. Apparently, Bob Yule cornered Atticus that morning in town, spat in his face, and called him a lot of dirty things and threatened to kill him. Chapter 23. Atticus' response to this was, I wish Bob Yule wouldn't chew tobacco. And Jem and Scout get super worried obviously, about their father's safety, and they talk to him about how they wish he'd carry a gun. Atticus finally realizes how deeply frightened they are. Atticus tells them, he says, Jem, see if you can stand in Bob Yule's shoes for a minute. I destroyed his last shred of credibility at that trial, if he had any to begin with. So if spitting in my face and threatening me saved Mayella Yule one extra beating, that's something I'll gladly take. He had to take it out on somebody, and I'd rather it be me than that house full of children out there. And then he tells them that there's nothing to be afraid of, and assures them that nothing will happen to Tom Robinson either until the higher court reviewed his case. They have a discussion about why rape is a capital offense, and why someone who rapes a woman is killed and not just sent to prison for a really long time. Jem thinks that it shouldn't be a death penalty. Atticus says he's fine with it being a capital offense, but he did have deep misgivings when the state asked for and the jury gave a death penalty on purely circumstantial evidence. And Jem's like, well, maybe we should do away with juries. And Atticus says that they're important, but maybe there might be a better way. Change the law so only judges have the power of fixing the penalty in capital cases. Atticus says, it's kind of a long quote, but I'm going to read the whole thing because he's talking about how if Jem and 11 other boys like him were on a jury, Tom would be a free man. And on page 251, he says, so far, nothing in your life has interfered with your reasoning process. Those are 12 reasonable men in everyday life, Tom's jury, but you saw something come between them and reason. You saw the same thing that night in front of the jail. When that crew went away, they didn't go as reasonable men. They went because we were there. There's something in our world that makes men lose their heads. They couldn't be fair if they tried. In our courts, when it's a white man's word against a black man's, the white man always wins. They're ugly, but those are the facts of life. The older you grow, the more of it you'll see. The one place where a man ought to get a square deal is in a courtroom, be he any color of the rainbow, but people have a way of carrying their resentments right into a jury box. As you grow older, you'll see white men cheat black men every day of your life. But let me tell you something, and don't you forget it. 
Whenever a white man does that to a black man, no matter who he is, how rich he is, or how fine a family he comes from, that white man is trash. Okay, so then Jem asks why no one like them and Miss Body sits on juries and why they're always farmers and country folk. And Atticus is pleased that Jem noticed this. And he says that often townspeople are excused because they don't want trouble with their friends and neighbors and they can't be unbiased. And he says that Miss Maudie can't sit on a jury because she's a woman. And he says, this is like the one thing that Atticus says that I don't love. But I mean, this was like the 30s, so I'm not surprised. But he says, she can't sit on a jury because she's a woman. I guess it's to protect our frail ladies from sordid cases like Tom's. Besides, I doubt we'd ever get a complete case tried. The ladies would be interrupting and asking questions. Anyway, so Scout thinks of Mrs. DuBose on a jury and thinks perhaps our forefathers were wise. I'm going to go with nope. Anyway, on the discussion of juries, Atticus tells them that this jury took a while to make up its mind. He says, an inevitable verdict maybe, but usually it takes them just a few minutes. You might like to know that there was one fellow who took considerable wearing down. In the beginning, he was raring for an outright acquittal. And then he tells them that this man was a Cunningham. Once you gain the respect of a Cunningham, you never lose it. And that night at the jail, they had earned his respect. Also, he says if there was one more Cunningham on that jury, it would have been a mistrial or something because there's no way they would have backed down. Scout in that moment vows to invite Walter Cunningham over for dinner when she starts school and to play with him more. And Auntie tells her that she's not allowed to spend time with him. He's not their kind. And they have a super long discussion about this. And Auntie says, you can scrub Walter Cunningham till he shines. You can put him in shoes and a new suit, but he'll never be like Jim. Finch women aren't interested in that sort of people. Scout doesn't understand why Auntie's so against it. And she and Jem keep arguing with her about it. Finally, Auntie gets mad and says that she she's like, you can't play with him because he is trash. That's on page 256. So before Scout can retaliate, Jem pulls her out of the room. And after she calms down, Jem tells her that Auntie is trying to turn her into a lady. And Scout says she doesn't care if Auntie likes her or if she thinks she's hard to handle. She's mad that she called Walter trash because he's not. And Jem says he, he's got it figured out. There's four types of people in Maycomb. The ordinary kind like us. There's the kind like the Cunninghams, the kind like the Yules, and the black people. He says that Atticus told him Auntie doesn't like being with the kinds unlike them because of their background. And then they discuss what background means. And Jem thinks that he knows what it is. And he says it's how long the family has been reading and writing. Scout disagrees because she says nobody's born knowing anything. Everyone has to learn. Anyway, Jem is distraught about all of it. And he says on page 259, why can't they get along with each other? If they're all alike, why do they go out of their way to despise each other? I think I'm beginning to understand something. I think I'm beginning to understand why Boo Radley stayed shut up in that house all this time. It's because he wants to stay inside. Chapter 24. Jem found out that Dill can't swim. and He's been teaching him for the last few days that he's in town. Scout isn't invited because they swim naked, so she spends her time with Miss Maudie or Calpurnia. And on this day, Auntie is having some women over for missionary circle. Scout is dressed in her Sunday dress and Auntie wants her to mingle with the women. She joins them after bringing out the coffee and she sits next to Miss Maudie. Miss Stephanie asks Scout if she wants to be a lawyer when she grows up. 
and Scout says she doesn't know what she wants to be. And in the end, she says she'll just be a lady. She's being snarky. Scout engages in a conversation with Mrs. Merriweather about their missionary work for a tribe in Africa that they're trying to convert to Christianity, which she thinks is like, you know, the greatest missionary work they've ever done. The women start talking about Tom's wife and the black people who work for them. They're cooks and everything. And they're upset because the black workers that they have are upset and they're not working hard enough, I guess. Miss Merriweather says, there's nothing more distracting than a sulky darkie. Just ruins your day to have one of them in your kitchen. She's freaking awful and I hate her. But she says that she told her cook, she says, you are simply not being a Christian today. Jesus Christ never went around grumbling and complaining. Mrs. Farrow pipes in and says that they're fighting a losing battle. They can educate the black people on Christianity all they want, but there's not a lady safe in her bed these nights. This is Meriwether comments again, and she says, I'll tell you, there are some good but misguided people in this town. Folks in this town who think they're doing right, I mean. Now far be it for me to say who, but some of them in this town thought they were doing the right thing a while back, but all they did was stir them up. Obviously, she's talking about Atticus. Miss Maudie, honestly, freaking love her. She pipes in and says, his food doesn't stick going down, does it? Which is her subtle way of saying, you may not like what Atticus is doing, but you sure don't have trouble eating the food that his work provided in his own home. Anyway, this shuts them up and then Auntie changes the conversation and gets them more refreshments. And after a minute, she makes eye contact with Miss Maudie and Scout says that she gave her a look of pure gratitude. Mrs. Merriweather says a lot of other racist things in this conversation. Like she says, doesn't my cook realize how lucky she is to work for her and that the only reason that Mrs. Merriweather keeps her is because she knows how much she needs the dollar and a quarter a week that she pays her and how blasphemous it would be to sit and eat with black people. Scout says that she heard Calpurnia talking about how bad Tom has been taking it all, how he has no hope and no matter what Atticus says, it doesn't change his mind. Atticus comes home in the middle of the day when all the women are over. Scout says his face is white and he asks to talk to Calpurnia in the kitchen. Scout, Auntie, and Miss Maudie go with him and he tells them that Tom is dead. He tried to escape prison and they shot him. Auntie asks him why they would just shoot him and not warn him. And Atticus says that they did fire warning shots and then they shot to kill. He took 17 bullets. Atticus asks Cal to come with him to Tom's house to tell his wife what happened. He says, I told him I thought we had a good chance. I guess Tom was tired of white men's chances and preferred to take his own. And then they left. Auntie sat down at the table with her hands in her face. Miss Maudie is super angry. And Auntie says, I can't say I approve of everything he does, Maudie, but he's my brother. And I just want to know when this will ever end. It tears him to pieces. He doesn't show it, but it tears him to pieces. And Miss Maudie says, There's people in this town who are extremely grateful for what he's doing. The handful of people in this town who say that fair play is not marked white only. The handful of people who say fair trial is for everybody, not just us. The handful of people in this town with background. And at that word, Scout says that she wasn't paying enough attention, but if she had been, she could have told Jem at that moment, what they meant by background. Miss Maudie tells them both to calm down, and they all go back out into the living room to entertain the women. 
After a while, Auntie smiles at Scout and nods at a tray of cookies. Without saying anything, Scout gets up, picked up the plate of cookies, and offered one to Mrs. Merriweather. And she says on page 271, After all, if Auntie could be a lady at this time, so could I. Chapter 25. School's back in and Dill has gone home, but he left with the promise that he'll spend all of his summers in Maycomb from now on. His last day in town, when Jem was teaching him how to swim, was the day that Atticus found out that Tom was killed. Jem and Dill told Scout what happened that day. They were walking home from the swimming hole when Atticus drove up. He only stopped because they waved him down. He tried to get them to go home, but finally said they could come with him if they stayed in the car. They drove past the Yule's house at the dump onto where Tom's family lived. Atticus and Calpurnia got out of the car and asked one of the kids if their mom was around. When she comes out, she says hello to Atticus, and from the look on his face, she knows Tom's dead, and she collapses to the ground. Atticus and Cal lifted her to her feet and went inside and talked for a really long time. Cal stayed with her, and Atticus came out and took the boys home. Over the next few days, the news of Tom was talked about in town, but it died down soon. Surprisingly, Mr. Underwood wrote an article in his newspaper defending Tom in some way or another. On 275, Scout says, Mr. Underwood didn't talk about miscarriages of justice. He was writing so children could understand. He simply figured it was a sin to kill cripples, be they standing, sitting, or escaping. He likened Tom's death to the senseless slaughter of songbirds by hunters and children. So Tom is our first mockingbird. Scout doesn't quite understand this. She thought that Tom was given due process and he was openly convicted, so how could this be a senseless killing? She says Atticus had used every tool available to free men to save Tom Robinson, but in the secret courts of men's hearts, Atticus had no case. Tom was a dead man the minute Mayella Yule opened her mouth and screamed. Miss Stephanie tells Auntie that she heard Mr. Yule say Tom dying made it one down and about two more to go. Chapter 26. Scout is in third grade now, and Jem is in seventh, which means that he goes to high school and she's still in elementary school. Jem tries out for the football team, but he's too small, so he doesn't make it, and he hopes to gain a bunch of weight and get on the team next year. They walk to school together, but not home together because they get out at different times again. But Scout says that the Radley place had ceased to terrify her at this point. She says she feels bad that she ever took part in any tormenting of Arthur Radley. And she remembers all the things he left for them in that tree because now she realizes that it must have been him. And she feels bad that she never gave him anything in return. She still finds herself looking for him when she walks by the house. And she imagines sometimes what it would be like to see him one day sitting on the porch. And she'd just casually say, how do you do, Arthur? And he'd say, evening, Jean Louise. And they'd talk about the weather as she passed. She says so many things had happened to us. Boo Radley was the least of our fears. Atticus said he didn't see how anything else could happen, but they see the effects of the trial in their lives. Kids at school are nice to them, but distant. Somehow the town re-elected Atticus without opposition, even though a lot of them disagreed with him. Scout's new teacher decides to make all the students report on a current event that they read in a newspaper. One of the students gets up and talks about Adolf Hitler and how he's been after all the Jews and he's putting them in prisons and taking away their property and a lot of other things. Remember, this is the 30s, so right before World War II. Another student asked the teacher how Hitler could do that. Wouldn't the government stop him? The teacher says that Hitler is the government and then she teaches the kids 
the difference between democracy and dictatorship. She asks first if anyone knows what a democracy is, and Scout raises her hand and says, equal rights for all, special privileges for none. And the teacher says, yes, America is a democracy. She says on 281, that's the difference between America and Germany. We are a democracy, and Germany is a dictatorship. Over here, we don't believe in persecuting anybody. Persecution comes from people who are prejudiced. So they discuss why Hitler doesn't like the Jews, and one of the students says that he doesn't understand why he doesn't like Jews. He says there ain't no cause to persecute them. They're white, ain't they? So later, after school, Scout asks Atticus about Hitler. She can't work out how her teacher could be so angry and upset about Hitler persecuting Jews when she heard her persecuting Tom during the trial. She almost says this to Atticus, but she changes her mind and she tells Jem instead. And she says on 283, coming out of the courthouse that night, I heard her say, it's time somebody taught them a lesson. They were getting above themselves. And the next thing they think they can do is marry us. Jem, how can you hate Hitler so bad and then turn around and be ugly to folks right here at home? Jem cuts her off, grabs her, and tells her he never wants to hear about the courthouse ever again. She leaves and goes back into the living room. Atticus heard it all. And he comforts her, telling her that Jem's having a rough time and he's just trying to forget it all. I mean, it's not surprising, I guess, when you think about the 1930s and Southerners and just how closed-minded they were and how prejudiced they were and racist. And But for an eight or nine-year-old kid to be like, how can, how can you hate Hitler for persecuting Jews when you persecute black people every single day? And she's right. It doesn't, it does not make sense. Chapter 27. Things settle down a bit, but there's three things that have happened that were related to the case and sort of the Finches. The first was that Bob Yule got a job with the WPA, which was the Work Progress Administration that they, it was like used to employ people during the Depression. So he gets a job and then loses it within days. Scout says he's the only man I ever heard of who was fired from the WPA for laziness. And he openly accuses Atticus of getting his job for some reason. I don't know why. The second thing happened to Judge Taylor. He was home alone one night when his wife was at Sunday night church. And someone tried to break into his house. And he saw a shadow running away, but that was all he saw. The third thing happened to Helen Robinson, Tom's wife. Tom had worked for a man named Link Dees, if you remember him speaking up in the trial. And after, he felt really sad for Helen and her family, so he gave her a job as a cook at his house, even though he didn't really need her. Helen would walk a mile out of her way every single day so that she didn't have to pass the Yule's house on her way to work, because anytime she did, they harassed her. Link Dees finds out about this, and that day, he walks Helen home in front of the Yule's house. He takes her home, and on his way back, he stops at the Yules and yells at Bob. He says, if I hear one more peep out of my girl Helen about not being able to walk this road, I'll have you in jail before sundown. And the next day, Helen walks by the Yules. No one yells at her, but Bob Yule comes out of his house and keeping a safe distance, he follows her to work and she can hear him saying dirty things to her the whole way. Helen told Link Dees and he came right away and Mr. Yule is leaning on the fence of his property. And Link Dees is amazing, but he first yells at him to get his hands off of his stuff because he's dirty. And then he tells him to leave. And Bob Yule says, he's like, I didn't touch her. And Dees tells him, you don't have to touch a woman for it to be harassment. 
and he said he'd have him arrested immediately if he didn't leave her alone. And apparently Yule believed him because he didn't bother her again. Auntie is rightfully worried about Atticus now because of all the things that Bob Yule is doing. Atticus, being Atticus, tells her that he understands Yule's mindset. He says on 287, He knows in his heart that very few people in Maycomb really believed him and Mayella. He thought he'd be a hero, but all he got for his pain was, Well, okay, we'll convict this black man, but go back to your dump. I proved him a liar, and Judge Taylor made him look like a fool. He says this because he said that the judge looked at Yule the entire time he was on the stand as if he was disgusted by him. But Scout says that things died down again and everything was fine for a while. The only change in the town was that they decided instead of letting the kids roam free for Halloween, because they'd had trouble with this in the past, that they'd have a party at the school for everyone, adults and kids. Miss Merriweather put on a pageant and Scout was cast as a ham. Scout's costume was made out of chicken wire and shaped into a ham and then covered with brown fabric. It covered her head and she looked like a ham with legs. And then they just put two small peepholes in the costume for her eyes. But on Halloween, Atticus and Auntie both say that they're too tired to go to the pageant. And before they leave, Auntie says she has a weird feeling. And Jem said that he would take Scout to the pageant. And she says on 291, thus began our longest journey together. Things about to get crazy. Chapter 28. It was a very dark night on the way to the pageant. Clouds covered the moon and the kids couldn't see very well as they walked to the school. They passed the Radley house and sort of laugh about how they used to be so afraid of it. The scout says they hear in the darkness a solitary mockingbird singing. It's so dark that Scout asks Jem how he knows where they are. And he says he can tell that they're under the big oak tree because the ground gets cooler under the tree. And just then, someone leaps out at them, but don't worry, it's just their classmate, Cecil Jacobs, playing a joke on them. They laugh when they realize who it is, and they all walk together to the school. When it's time for the play, they go backstage, and while she's waiting for her turn to go on for the pageant, she falls asleep, and she's late for her cue. Mrs. Merriweather, who put the pageant on, is not happy with her, but Jim tells her that it was all right, no one noticed. Scout says that Jem was becoming almost as good as Atticus at making you feel right when things went wrong. But Scout was embarrassed still and asked if they could wait and leave until almost everyone had gone home. Someone asked Jem if they needed a ride, but Jem said no. So they start their walk home. It's still super dark outside, and Scout realizes as they're walking home that she forgot her shoes at the school and she wants to go back and get them. But Jem tells her that she can get them tomorrow. But then they realize that tomorrow is Sunday. And Jem's like, well, we're not going back. We can get the janitor to let you in tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. But he stops talking because he hears something. He tells Scout to be quiet for a minute. And they keep walking. And Jem and Scout both realize that they can hear someone walking behind them. But every time they stop, the person behind them stops. And every time they walk, the person behind them walks. Jem decides, or hopes, I guess, that it's Cecil playing a joke on them again. And Scout asks, how would this person following us see us in the dark? It's too dark. Like, she couldn't even see Jem, really. And Jem tells her that the chicken wire on her costume, like, glows a little bit. So Scout is scared, and so she says, you know, she yells, Cecil is a big, wet hen, which I guess is a funny insult. I don't know. And Jem says, hello, but no one responds. So they realize that it's not Cecil. But Jem's still trying to keep his cool. He asks if Scout can take off her costume so that the person can't see them as well. She says she's not wearing anything really under it. 
and Jem's holding her dress, but it would be too hard to put it on in the dark. So he's like, no, it's fine. We'll just keep walking. And she asks Jem if he's afraid and he says no. They're almost to the tree, but they don't walk too fast because they didn't want to trip or let whoever was following them know that they knew he was following them. And Scout says, "It like this literally grosses me out. It gives me the heebie-jeebies I hate. Ugh. Anyway, she says on page 300, she says, our company shuffled and dragged his feet as if wearing heavy shoes. Whoever it was wore thick cotton pants. What I thought were trees rustling was the soft swish of cotton on cotton every step. Oh, it like freaks me out. I hate it. Okay. Scout, because she's not wearing any shoes, feels the cold earth under her feet and knows that they're at the tree. They stop to listen for a second, but this time when they stop walking, the man behind them didn't stop and they hear him running towards them. Jem screams at Scout to run, but the man crushes Scout's costume. He grabs her and crushes her costume and she falls to the ground. She hears what she feels like is the man wrestling with Jem. And Jem gets up, tries to grab Scout and run. And they're almost to the road when the man grabs Jem from behind. And Scout hears a crunch and Jem screams. And she tries to find him on the ground. But then the man grabs her and she says that he slowly squeezed the breath out of her. Suddenly, the man was jerked backwards and flung on the ground. And Scout thinks... Jem's up now. After a minute, Scout calls for Jem, but all she hears is a man coughing and heavy breathing, and she realizes that there's now four people under the tree. And she asks, she's like, Atticus? Because she thinks it's him, but no one responds. But then the new man, or one, one of the men, is dragging something heavy on the ground, and then he's up, and Scout feels around on the ground trying to find Jem, but what she finds is a bearded face that smells like whiskey. So she gets up, starts walking towards the streetlight and she sees a man carrying Jem toward the road. She runs after them, sees the man walk up to her house. Atticus opens the door and then they rush inside. Scout comes in and Auntie asks if she's okay and then she runs to call the doctor. Atticus comes out after a minute and when she's off the phone, he calls the sheriff and he says on 302, heck, someone's been after my children. Jem's hurt. Between here and the schoolhouse, I can't leave my boy. Run out there for me, please. See if he's still around. Doubt if you'll find him now, but I'd like to see him if you do. Scout asks if Jem is dead, and Atticus says no. Auntie helps Scout out of her costume. It's like really busted at this point. Dr. Reynolds arrives, and after seeing that Scout is still standing, he runs to Jem's room. Dr. Reynolds comes back out after a while, and Scout asks again, is Jem dead? And he says, far from it. He's got a bump on his head just like yours and a broken arm. He's got a bad break. So far as I can tell now, it's the elbow. Like somebody tried to wring his arm off. And he asks Scout if she feels broken anywhere. And she smiles at him and asks again, is Jem dead? And he says, now I may be wrong, of course, but I think he's very alive. Shows all the symptoms of it. Go have a look at him. And when I come back, we'll get together and decide. And he leaves to go get some supplies and Hectate shows up. Scout leads him into Jem's room, and she notices the man who brought Jem is standing in the corner, and she says, some country man I did not know. Hectate comes in, and Atticus asks if he saw anything, and Tate looks at the man in the corner and nods a hello, and he says he found a little girl's dress and asks if it was Scout's. Yes, it was. He hesitated, and Atticus asked him what was up, and he says, Bob Yule's lying on the ground under that tree yonder with a kitchen knife stuck up under his ribs. He's dead, Mr. Finch. 
chapter 29. Scout says, I could not think of nothing but Mr. Bob Yule saying he'd get Atticus if it took him the rest of his life. Mr. Yule almost got him, and it was the last thing he did. Mr. Tate asks Scout to tell him what happened, and Scout tells her story. She says they started walking home. She forgot her shoes. They almost went back. They heard something behind them, thought it was Cecil, yelled for him. Tate, at this point, asks Atticus if he heard them yell. He says he didn't. He had his radio on. And Tate wonders if any of the neighbors heard. And Atticus says he doubts it because they all listen to the radio at night. Scout continues. She says they heard footsteps. They walked and stopped with them. Jem said that their follower could see her because the shiny paint on her costume. Tate asks to see her costume, and Atticus gets it for him. He sees the wire and says Yule had marks on his arms and holes in his shirt from the chicken wire of her costume. Tate says the costume probably saved her life. Bob Yule meant business. Tate says, low down skunk with enough liquor in him to make him brave enough to kill children. He'd never have met you face to face, Atticus. And Atticus says he thought he'd gotten it all out of his system, and if not, that he would come after Atticus himself and not his kids. Anyway, Scout continues her story. She says they got under the tree and stopped. He ran at them. Jem screamed for Scout to run. Something grabbed her and crushed her costume. She heard Jem and the man fighting against the tree. Jem found her, picked her up, and tried to run. But the man grabbed Jem and pulled him back, broke his arm, knocked him out, and Mr. Yule tried to squeeze her to death. And then she says, somebody yanked Yule down. She says, Jem must have got up, I guess. That's all I know. And then she says, someone was staggering around and panting and coughing, fit to die. I thought it was Jem at first, but it didn't sound like him. So I went looking for Jem on the ground. I thought it was Atticus that had come to help us. And Tate asks who the man was. And Scout says, he's here. You can ask his name yourself. And she points to the man in the corner. And she looks at him for the first time, really looks at him, and she says his skin is white. It's too white, like someone who's never been outside. And she says on 310, As I gazed at him in wonder, the tension slowly drained from his face. His lips parted into a timid smile, and our neighbor's image blurred with my sudden tears. Hey, boo, I said. Chapter 30 Atticus corrects her, Mr. Arthur, honey, and introduces her to Arthur Radley, and he says, I believe he already knows you. Dr. Reynolds comes back in the room and tells everyone to get out, and then says, Evening, Arthur. Didn't notice you the first time I was here. So the rest of them go out on the porch. Scout starts to follow the men, but she stops and says to Boo, she says, Come along, Mr. Arthur. You don't know the house real well. I'll just take you to the porch, sir. And she leads him out. She offers him a chair on the porch in a dark corner because she figures he'd like the dark, and she's amazed that she's actually in the presence of Boo Radley, and she sits next to him. Now, Atticus and Tate have an argument about how to go about this. Atticus believes that the right thing to do is to tell the truth. Jem killed him, but it was self-defense. And Tate's like, do you really believe that Jem killed him? And Atticus is like, well, that's what Scout said happened. She said Jem got up and yanked him off her. He probably got a hold of Yule's knife somehow in the dark. And Tate says, no, Jem did not kill Bob Yule. They argue back and forth, and it takes a while to realize that heck Tate is trying to protect Jem and Arthur Radley. But more, he's more trying to protect Arthur. Atticus seems to truly believe that Jem is the one who killed him who killed Bob Yule. And he doesn't want people to think that Jem is getting special treatment because that's not how he's raised his kids. He has to be honest, blah, blah, blah. 
And Tate says, Yule fell on his knife and he can prove it. And he demonstrates how it happened. He pulls out his switchblade, whatever. He says, Scout's eight. She's too scared to know exactly what happened. It was so dark. Finally, after Atticus refuses again, Tate gets mad and he says, God damn it, I'm not thinking of Jem. Atticus, you're not right in the head right now. For once, you haven't put two and two together. We have to figure this out tonight. There's going to be too many questions tomorrow. And then on 316, it says, Mr. Tate added that Atticus wasn't going to stand there and maintain that any boy Jem's size with a busted arm had fight enough in him to tackle and kill a grown man in the pitch dark. And Tate says, it's not Atticus's decision. It's his. And if he contradicts him, he'll call him a liar. He says, I'm not a very good man, sir, but I am sheriff of Maycomb County. Lived in this town all my life, and I'm going on 43 years old. I know everything that's happened here since before I was born. There's a black boy dead for no reason, and the man responsible for it's dead. Let the dead bury the dead this time, Mr. Finch. And he goes over to Atticus, and now he's talking about Boo. I mean, it's not explicitly said, but he is talking about Arthur Radley. He says, I never heard tell that it's against the law for a citizen to do his utmost to prevent a crime from being committed, which is exactly what he did but maybe you'll say it's my duty to tell the town and not hush it up. To my way of thinking, Mr. Finch, taking the one man who's done you and this town a great service and dragging him with his shy ways into the limelight, to me, that's a sin. It's a sin and I'm not about to have it on my head. If it was any other man, it'd be different, but not this man, Mr. Finch. That's on 317. And he says one final time, that Bob Yule fell on his own knife and he leaves. Atticus sits for a minute and he calls Scout over. He says, Bob Yule fell on his knife. Can you possibly understand? Scout says, yes, sir, I understand. Mr. Tate was right. And Atticus asks what she means. And she says, well, it'd sort of be like shooting a mockingbird, wouldn't it? A mockingbird, I mean, they liken it right to, it's a good person who's hurt by the evils of mankind. Atticus hugs her and gets up and goes inside, and he turns to Boo and says, Thank you for my children, Arthur. Chapter 31 Arthur gets up and looks at Scout, and he nods to the door, and Scout knows that he wants to say goodnight to Jem, and so she takes him inside. Scout grabs him by the hand and leads him to Jem's bed. He hesitates for a minute, and Scout says, You can touch him, and he lightly pats Jem's head. They go back outside and Boo whispers and asks Scout to come home with him. She says, in the voice of a child afraid of the dark. She tells him to lean down so she can take his arm like a real gentleman. She says, if Miss Stephanie Crawford was watching from her upstairs window, she would see Arthur Radley escorting me down the sidewalk as any gentleman would do. She walked with Boo up to his house. He released her hand and went inside and Scout never saw him again. She turned to go home. But instead, she stands in front of the window, the shutterless window, and she turns around and looks at her neighborhood and sees it for the first time from Arthur Radley's perspective. She sees through Boo's eyes the people in the neighborhood. She says she sees a man and his children always present, the children enacting a strange little drama in the summer. He sees the children fight in front of Miss Dubois' house. It's winter and the children shivered at his gate watching the fire. It's winter and a man walks into the street and shoots a dog. It's summer and he watches his children's hearts break. It's autumn and Boo's children needed him. 
Scout says on 321, Atticus was right. One time, he said, you never really know a man until you stand in his shoes and walk around in them. Just standing on the Radley porch was enough. Scout walks home and thinks about how jealous Jem will be that he didn't get to see Boo Radley. And she thinks that she and Jem didn't have much else to learn in life. She goes into Jem's room and finds Atticus reading one of Jem's books, The Grey Ghost, and she asks him to read it out loud. He reads aloud to her for a while, and she falls asleep. And he takes her to bed, and she talks about the story she heard him read, because he's like, you fell asleep. And she says, no, I know exactly what you said. And so she recites the story to him. It's about a ship and stoner's boy, and I don't really know the story, but she says on 322, and they all thought it was Stoner's boy messing up their clubhouse and throwing ink all over it. And they chased him and never could catch him because they didn't know what he looked like. And Atticus, when you finally saw him, why he hadn't done any of those things. Atticus, he was real nice. And Atticus tucks her in and says, most people are a scout when you finally see them. Okay, I'm going to go over themes. I'm going to try to be brief, but I have a lot to say, so... There's a few themes I'm going to talk about. The first one is kind of two themes, I guess, but I'm putting them together. So educating kids about morals and also good versus evil and how it's possible that they can coexist. So the children start out as just that. They're children, they're innocent, but throughout the novel, their innocence disappears as they mature, as they have situations come up as things happen to them before though they've never seen evil so they just assume that people are good in the novel you can see that a stark contrast between their schooling and the way that Atticus teaches them and what he teaches them Scout tells us multiple times throughout the novel that she learns nothing at school and this seems to be showing us that the most important lessons you can learn are of understanding and kindness and sympathy for other people. Throughout the novel, the children are introduced to more and more evil. And by the end, they realize the evils of mankind. And they realize that the evil that they thought lived next door in Boo Radley was not evil at all. And that the evil that they didn't even know existed was brought on by, you know, anger and jealousy and shame and guilt and that sort of thing. By the end of the book, Scout tells us that she doesn't think she and Jem have anything else to learn. She says this because she means that they've learned so much from all of these experiences that have happened to them that they've obviously matured past childhood. And Scout, maybe because she's younger than Jem, but these experiences don't cause her to totally lose her faith in humanity. But in Jem, it seems that they do. And he struggles more and more with it as the story goes on. And by the end of it, he doesn't even want to talk about it. He's just struggling a lot to work out his feelings surrounding it. And Atticus, who has experienced both good and evil in his life, has somehow not lost his faith in humanity, even though he's experienced so many terrible things and witnessed so many terrible things happen to other people. And Jem will probably get there because how could you not when you have a dad like Atticus, but he struggles a ton with it. Obviously, Atticus does a really amazing job illustrating that 
good and evil can coexist inside a person and a community, I guess, as well. He does this, especially when the men come to the jail. They came to kill a man and they would have hurt Atticus if he got in the way. But when Scout speaks to them, they're softened and they leave. And that is like one of the best lessons, I think, where Scout and Jem see that these men came to do an evil thing, but they left because in their hearts they were good as well. So basically there's good and bad in everyone, except maybe Atticus, because maybe he's perfect. Um, But he teaches this to them multiple times. He does it again with Mrs. DuBose. She's obviously a raging racist, and she's extremely cruel at times, even to children. But Atticus shows that she's strong and she's fighting an incredibly hard battle that a lot of people lose. And Atticus puts himself in her shoes and has his kids do the same to see that there is good and bad in everyone. So back to innocence at the beginning. Innocence is also found in Tom and Boo Radley. They're not prepared for a world as evil as this one and it destroys them. Tom is killed and Boo is forced into hiding. And every time I read the part, at the end when Scout says Hectate is right and she says it would be sort of like killing a mockingbird. Every time I read that I cry because it I feel like it's so powerful. It's such a beautiful and tragic and powerful metaphor because Tom and Boo Radley are mockingbirds. They're just pure and innocent. They do no wrong and they are destroyed by this evil society. Okay, couple more themes obviously the racial injustice. Scout finally sees this for what it is when her class discusses Hitler. She doesn't understand how her teacher can be so cruel and persecute Tom Robinson for being a black man, but she hates Hitler for doing the same thing to Jews. It doesn't make sense in Scout's mind, obviously, because it's super hypocritical. And Atticus risks everything to help Tom Robinson, even his children's safety, because he can't sit by and watch racism ruin a man's life. And just like this, we have the class and prejudice issue. Jem and Scout grapple with this throughout the book as their auntie repeatedly tells them that they can't spend time with certain people. In Maycomb, the Finches are in the top class of people. Below them are the country folk, below them are the Yules and the Dump, and below them is the Black community. And obviously, it would be inappropriate in Auntie's eyes for them to spend time with the black community, but it's also not okay for them to associate with people in lower classes like the Cunninghams, because heaven forbid Scout date someone as low as Walter Cunningham. So that's all I'm going to talk about as far as race and prejudice and class. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about is justice and judgment. Or I guess, okay, the last thing I'm going to talk about is reserving judgment, which I brought up in the beginning of talking about themes in the whole like moral good versus evil thing. But Atticus says over and over again throughout the novel to put yourself in another person's shoes before you judge them. He teaches his kids this whenever possible. And everything he says and does is to reserve judgment with everything, including Boo, Mrs. Du Bois, Bob Yule, the Cunninghams, everyone, even when someone does something terrible to them, or someone they know, it's always put yourself in their shoes. And he even does this with Bob Yule 
he says, you know, I took everything from him. I embarrassed him. I did all, I did this to him. And so of course he's feeling angry and retaliating against me. And this whole thing comes full circle in the end when Scout literally stands in front of Boo Radley's window and sees the world from his perspective. She literally stands in his shoes and sees the world the way that he does. And that's exactly what Atticus has been teaching them this entire book. We made it, guys. We made it to the end of To Kill a Mockingbird. I hope you loved this book as much as I do. I guess you didn't read it, but <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed at least listening to a summary. It's an incredible book. Make sure you go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram so you know when I post new books. They should be up weekly, so don't miss out.